Welcome uh, to the second episode of uh, Open Source uh, Sports Podcast. Um, I'm Kostas Pelekrinis. And I'm Ron Yurko. And today we have with us uh, Daniel Daly Grafstein, uh, who is uh, going to uh, talk to us about two of his recent papers. Uh, and just to give you an introduction um, about Daniel, so he's currently a soccer data analyst at uh, Sports Logic Q. Uh, it's a sports AI company uh, that in soccer focuses on generating tracking data using computer vision. Uh, the paper uh, we'll discuss today is work done as part of Daniel's master's degree in statistics at uh, Simon Fraser University. And in the fall, he is going to be starting his PhD studies in statistics at um, QBC. Uh, so Daniel, thanks for uh, joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Um... Yeah, big fan of the show. I've been listening to, to every episode so far. So, thank you. Um, yeah, so we have one episode so far. One episode. <laughs> one episode. It, one it counts one. for three. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, uh, just um, a quick um, introduction. So, what we're going to be discussing today is um, the Rao Blackwell Blackwellizing uh, Phil Goldberg Senate's paper uh, that um, uh, is a JQAS and a follow up paper um, that um, they, they have working on uh, defense. And basically, the reason we, we chose this paper is uh, because um, uh, it addresses the variability issue with various popular metrics uh, that attempt to present shooting skill of players. And it takes an approach, a nice approach using the Rao Blackwell theorem which as an educator, I think it's uh, a very nice example on teaching uh, this, um, this theorem and uh, students are just understanding it. Um, so Daniel, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about uh, a brief introduction of the paper? What was your objective and what you found? Sure, so kind of the goal of the paper is to create a, uh, a like more, less variable, more accurate measure of shooting skill. Um, using shot trajectory data, so kind of X, Y, Z trajectory data of the ball. Um, yeah, so the kind of motivation for this is that when looking at like something like three-point percentage, like if you try and rank players from one year to the next, there's not a lot of correlation in players' rankings. There's kind of a lot of variability. And like different small differences in field goal percentage uh, can be the difference between like an average shooter and a good shooter. So the goal with this is to kind of to stabilize the metric a little bit to give a more accurate representation. So, so how we do that is we take shot trajectories from multi-cam tracking data from SportsView, and we try and estimate sh shot make probabilities from those shot trajectories. So for each trajectory, we kind of decompose the trajectory into like the depth, the left-right angle, and the left-right distance and the entry angle of the shot kind of to summarize uh, to create a model to, to estimate the shot make probability. So for each shot, we'll get the depth, basically how far in relation to the center of the hoop the shot lands, the left-right deviation, kind of how far in terms of left-right distance the shot is from the center of the basket and kind of the entry angle. And we just use a logistic regression model to create kind of a shot make probability. And so where the where the real black lies, where really the real black wall equation comes into this, it's kind of just a grounding for the, this is kind of like an applied problem, but there's some theoretical theoretical grounding for like why this why these shot make probabilities on average will be a better estimator than than round field goal percentage so basically if if you look at like a player's a player's shots if instead of like thinking of each each shot as like a coin flip where like heads is like a successful shot and tails is a fail 
each shot kind of has a varying probability. So instead of a Bernoulli distribution for shots, we kind of model shots as a beta Bernoulli distribution where each shot has a different probability. And it turns out um, that it, instead of taking like the mean of the make misses of the shot, if you take the mean of the shot make probabilities, that that's a sufficient statistic for a player shooting skill. And the real Blackwell theorem tells us that, uh, that 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 estimator should be better in terms of mean squared error than just looking at like the makes and misses. So then we show, we kind of like use this theoretical grounding and this shamic probability estimator improves, improves um, estimation of player shooting skill. So if you just look at like three point three point percentage or true shooting percentage, if you like use the mean of a player's shamic probabilities rather than like a count of their makes and misses, um, you're you're able to better predict a player's future field goal percentage, and like you're able to infer that that shooting skill with with less variance, and you can apply this to free throw percentage, true shooting. And the same thing applies. And then kind of in the follow-up paper, we kind of reverse that a little bit. So if we're trying to look at a player's defensive ability, if you look at something like opponent field goal percentage, if you, ex if you like exchange opponent field goal percentage with opponent real black has field goal percentage, basically the mean of the shot make probabilities your opponent has while you're defending them, you get this kind of same reduction in variance and like the same ability to better, better estimate and better predict a player's defensive opponent shooting percentage. That's a, that's a great introduction. And um, so just to follow up a little bit on that, so it, 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 it almost as if by considering this shot make probabilities, essentially you are, you are reducing some of the lack factor uh, that you might have uh, in, in the shots. Uh, so exactly. Okay. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So like we can, you can differentiate between like a, a something that switches versus like a rim in versus like an air ball miss. You yeah. kind of get extra information for each shot. Yeah, one of yeah. the things I, I like about this paper from just reading it and going through, if you think about it, the um, the Rao Blackwell theorem, I put it in the same vein of thinking about like empirical bays where there are people in sports doing this without realizing they're actually doing this. So right. like in the in football model, in NFL, uh, American football modeling world, people will look at, well, let's make a better version of uh, completion percentage by quarterback by modeling the completion probability based on the depth of target, right? And it's the same idea of, well, if we use that, that sufficient statistic, that new predicted probability, that can be better estimator of the actual uh, quarterback's completion probability going forward. So this idea just extends to other sports. People are somewhat doing it, but they don't realize they're actually doing it. So it's great to have the paper that formally states this is the Rel Blackwell theorem that you are calling underneath and justifies your decision. The uh, yeah, it costs. Did you want to talk specifically about some of the modeling parts of this? Yeah, yeah. So um, I I had um, so I thought it was very interesting uh, looking at the trajectories, which is basically mm -hmm. as you also say in the paper, it's a kind of post release estimate uh, of the shot make probability. So the player has released a shot now, mm -hmm. how well the trajectory actually uh, can predict uh, whether the shot will be made or not. Um, so essentially, when you kind of compare, well, you didn't directly compare, but you um, said, you know, traditional um, uh, shot, make, shot, shot make probability models do not perform as well. Uh, so, for example, the trajectory-based model was about 80% accurate, uh, whereas, uh, you know, considering just the distance from the basket, closest defender, and all this kind of stuff, it was about 60% accurate. Right. 
So I'm wondering whether uh, even though uh, the models that do not use trajectory, even though they are not that accurate, whether you have tried uh, to apply the um, uh, Rao Blackwell uh, theorem and see whether you can reduce the variance, because I can see a lot of benefits doing that in the sense that, you know, maybe you can start evaluating uh, draft prospects better. You don't have trajectory data, but you most probably are able to get things like distance of the defender, distance from the basket and all this kind of stuff. Right. So yeah, we did compare uh, like models that kind of tried to utilize like contextual factors for each shot to predict like whether the shot's going in, kind of similar to like expected goal models in soccer or hockey, where you kind of use like the situation around the shot to, pre to predict like whether it's going to go in or not. And those like very well can like improve the variance or like reduce, reduce the variance in like estimating a player's field goal percentage. But I, I wouldn't exactly ca characterize that as real blackalizing because I don't like, like the, con the context around a shot isn't sufficient, isn't like a sufficient statistic for whether that shot goes in or not. Like knowing whether, whether that shot went in or whether it missed, that gives you more information. Whereas like knowing the shot make probability, um, given like the trajectory information, like knowing whether the shot went in or not, isn't adding ex any extra, any extra information. So like, that's why like it's, yeah, the, the, those other models could very well reduce variance, but I don't think that would be like an exact example of the real Blackwell theorem. So that's uh, what Ron most probably mentioned. Uh, people are doing it empirically, but in this case, uh, it's not a <laughs> Blackwell, but it, it might reduce the variance. It might reduce the variance. And it's, it's kind of strange because like what I mentioned, we mentioned this in the paper, um, but like, a sufficient statistic is like something that like you you take from a sample whereas like we're kind of estimating it so yeah. even ours is not like an exact representation of the real black hole theorem um but yeah this is it's kind of similar to like empirical bays where like you're you're shrinking you're reducing variance by using contextual factors or factors that like about the league average oftentimes can reduce the variance of these estimates mm -hmm. yeah. yeah because I, I was thinking also one of the things that you mentioned i you referred to um the paper about meta statistics, um, meta analysis of statistics in sport, and you said oh, obviously that you couldn't compare the year-to-year -year stability because you didn't have uh, data. But I, I was thinking that if you used, you know, these contextual factors, maybe you were able to see some sort of year-to-year -year stability if, if there is. Um, yeah, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk about, I thought was. Inter interesting with this work for doing the for having to deal with the play the optical tracking data of the ball was the use of the pseudo data as priors within the Bayesian regression uh, framework. So the idea of using the player location and the hoop data right as an initial data set that you constructed to then to serve to first do an updating uh, within the Bayesian regression framework as a prior to then hopefully smooth out the ball shot trajectories. That I thought was a really interesting idea because that also is something that in a way helps with dealing with imputation problem and uh, sports tracking data across different sports. The one thing I was wondering about the, um, which I'm assuming this has to do with the weighting of that location as prior information was it pointed out that the, um, the pseudo data set was four points, two, 
each for the start, two for each of the hoop location. I was wondering, yeah. okay, what decision making, was there some sensitivity analysis done for determining that we're just going to have two of each of these? Yeah, um, so basically the, uh, that analysis is just comparing to, to the paper by, um, by Marty and Lucy that was presented at Sloan in 2017 using the NOAA system. Um, we mentioned this in the paper, but the NOAA system is just like a hardware install that many MBA teams use in their practice facilities, like sit above the hoop and can measure kind of exactly the depth and left, right and angle of each shot. That paper is also where we get these like three shot factors that we use for our shot probability model. So kind of looking at the variance and depth for those shots and kind of iterating through different, um, like comparing that to like the, just the ordinary least squares and then like different iterations of this Bayesian regression with pseudo data, like the four points at, at the start and the end kind of aligned decently well with the variance and depth that they found. So that's kind of like how, how we arrived at that. Okay. And, and some some looking at like the mis misclassification rate, like which which set of um, like which pseudo data points would like improve the the shot made probability so model. That, that actually leads to something else I want to ask you about. Because okay, if so, if I'm understanding this correctly, right? Within the you're doing the Rao Blackwell theorem, the sufficient statistic being the probability of the shot being made. Mm -hmm. Right, the individual P of I. So in this case, you don't actually know the individual PI, so you are estimating that individual PI. Yep. But in terms of then evaluating the models, should the focus then be on a calibration more so of the to see, okay, if you're predicting between 50 to 60 percent shot probability being made, 50 60 percent of the time it is actually going in. So I wonder if. I, in this case, the model probably is fine with that regards anyway, but that really is your target is to be those well calibrated probabilities, right? Instead of necessarily if it is correctly classified as being made or not. That's true. That's probably a good point. It might have been a slightly better way of choosing like that regression model. Because, um, yeah, we don't, we, we kind of don't want exact, like if the model's too good then you're just getting like ones and zeros yeah, close to yeah. it as probabilities and you're not changing much from a raw field low percentage. So that, mm. that might've been a better way to do it. The, the primary factor was like the depth, I think it's like figure two in the paper, the depth mm -hmm. and left right comparisons um, to, the, the, to the NOAA paper to try and like recreate those. But I agree, I think a, like a test of calibration would have been another good way to, to compare models. So, so keep staying a little bit on the trajectories, actually, I was wondering a little, um, you know, a higher level question. Um, so since, you know, with this method, you're trying to quantify uh, shooting skill, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering whether you can use these trajectories to identify what makes a, a, a shooter great, right? So for example, it might be the case that, you know, Kari is a great shooter because there is little variance in the trajectories that he has pretty much the same entry angle, the same depth, whereas other shooters have more variance. So have you, uh, have you looked at that uh, for individual players, how the trajectories evolve? Because that could also be some sort of um, um, 
you know, we don't have this data for youth players or college players, but you can uh, say if by that age, you know, your variance in the trajectory is still high, then most probably you'll never be carried. Right. Um, yeah, it's an interesting idea. Um, this, the, the paper I was mentioning before by Marty and Lucy, and then Marty had another paper in 2018 using, using this NOAA system, kind of looked at like intervention in players shooting and like looking at biases, like systematic biases in their depth or left or right and trying to correct these and like improve their shooting ability. When, when we did this first paper, we were a little hesitant to like make these type of like analyses on exact trajectories because we were kind of modeling trajectories and like biasing them using this Bayesian regression a little bit. So we didn't like make any, we didn't do any analysis on like individual player trajectory, like or certain players, like good players have like consistent depth and left, right, which I'm sure all good shooters would have like better mm -hmm. on average left, yeah. right and depth distances than not good shooters. Um, we did do a little bit in like the follow-up paper where we looked at like how defenders affect shot trajectories so defenders like shots that are contested heavily miss more often like why is that the case in terms of the trajectory uh, we found that like contesting the shot kind of biases depth shorter than when they're open like to a non-optimal depth so we did do a little bit of that and you um you could do that but i think more effective for like youth players if they have access to this and professional players would be like those those hardware installs that give you yeah. kind of more exact information. Yeah, yeah, it, it makes sense because the part of the variance will be measurement variance, and you right. don't know yeah. how much. It's it's hard to tell, especially with players that don't shoot that many shots, mm -hmm. how much is like real variance versus like measurement variance. Yeah. So this actually this connected to that in a way the. Um, because I think it's funny is because you show the improvement with the round black eyes estimator, and then show on top of that, let's do an empirical base shrinkage to get it even better, right? The um, right. and so I was wondering, like when you do something like that for the shot make probability, why not use like a hierarchical model approach to maybe do pulling across players within that way to to get individual, maybe slightly better individual shot probabilities, but you still yeah, at least like have the, some pooling effect, right? Right, like pool by position or, or something. Yeah, like that. The, did, you, did you take a look at doing some sort of like random effects for players with some with pooling at some type of group level, um, see if that leads to an improved performance or that with respect to looking at uh, the, the empirical base shrunk version. Like I'm wondering. Um, no. Okay. We oh yeah, we didn't look at that. Um, again, yeah. Uh, originally, we uh, we wanted to kind of keep the the metric as simple as possible, just like mm -hmm. a sum of probability or an average of probabilities versus like an like a count of make misses. Yeah. Again, I don't doubt that like there's possibility that like a, some hierarchical approach, grouping by position, could have further improved estimation. Um, it probably wouldn't beat your empirical base shrunk version, though. I'm, I'm just thinking this out loud in my head of uh, when you do this initial one you did and then do just the shrinkage on top of it, that's probably better than anything else you're going to come across because <laughs> that way it actually is just shrinking towards this overall average more so the, um, than a really complicated shot make probability model. Yeah, but you could have, we could have shrunk like, use some sort of group and shrunk, shrunk, shrunk yeah. that way. But yeah, um, the, one of the reasons we did that is we looked at, like we originally just looked at um, 
like these these errors on the red block loss meter and like the raw field goal percentage compared to grant the grand mean just like using like the league average for like half a season's worth of prediction and like we were pretty surprised how like poorly we were doing compared to the grand mean estimator on like yeah. a lot of our statistics um honestly that's like, my fa that's my favorite thing in the in the in the paper actually in a way is just showing you how much better the grand mean could just be versus doing a bunch of work just take the grand exactly. mean it's even better <laughs> yeah and we did include like um like a lot of players with like slow sample size so that um i'm sure like if we cut up made the cutoff higher higher and higher you the grand mean would perform worse and worse but yeah it's surprising still that like half a season's worth of, of games, the grand mean is still performing like reasonably well. It's, it's, so now uh, I'll make a pretty similar question moving to the defensive side. Uh, you know, Ron is known for his love of hierarchical models and I'm known for um, <laughs> weird regression models. So my question is basically, so in the defensive side of thing, when you model the shot make probability based on, you know, the shooter and the closest defender, you're mm -hmm. using a linear regression model, right? So yes. I'm, I'm wondering whether, since that's a percentage, right, whether you, you know, a beta regression would be more appropriate. A beta regression? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's possible. We had some, uh, like, there's some difficulty in like modeling these two things because one of them is like a binary like mm -hmm. we're comparing like the raw field goal percentage to like a percentage and like there's kind of you use like traditional like logistic versus linear regressions there's different loss functions and it's hard to kind of compare these it's hard to like establish what a ground truth would be mm -hmm. we take the ground truth to be like the like opponent's field goal percentage raw field goal percentage over the whole season and it's a different loss function than like um than like a beta regression or mm -hmm. like a linear regression. Um, I think, yeah, beta might've worked better, but the reason we chose we chose to, to use the linear is because it kind of, it works for the the zero one, even though it's like not traditionally used. Yeah. It, yeah. it and, uh, works in both I cases. I think economists would probably like it. <laughs> is that yeah, common? No, the linear probability models is the, yeah. Yeah, the, no, the situation you're dealing with here is difficult just from the task, right? Is you want to compare the effects, but from looking at the two different versions of this response. So, yeah. In a and way, it almost of, justifies you shouldn't even do the other one just because of the interpretation. Yeah, and, and I, I have to say, even the better regression, uh, I mean, whenever I have used this type of regressions and linear regression, the effects and the direction is always the same. It's just, okay. you know, the, the details. So, for example, better regression would never give you a prediction of more than one, for example. But right. effects and direction of effects, all this kind of stuff are always the same. It's just um my weird thing with this kind of progressions <laughs> right oh i'm just gonna say that um like regardless of like the the type of regression and like the loss function you choose like I, um if you look at like the prediction with uh like the rail black hole versus raw like the prediction no, no matter what type of regression you're using like the rail black hole is improving in, yeah. in prediction so so what i wanted to ask you about <laughs> I haven't seen this really used much outside of an experimental design course I remember taking. Um, the sum to zero contrasts for the player effects. 
I thought that was interesting because it has the really nice interpretation, right, of where they are relative to the average. But it was just I, – I hadn't seen that actually used in a – I don't think I've seen it in a sports paper before. So what, what went into the decision-making of using that version versus, say, doing a multi-level model where players are assumed to come from some distribution? Um, yeah, so it was mostly for the interpretation of, uh, okay. of like, the parameters. So, like, it gives, like, a nice interpretation of, like, how defenders are, are modifying a player's shooting relative to league average. That was, that was pretty much the only – the, the like the, the main reason we, we mm -hmm. use some some zero contrast and like the same with like uh um when you're you're looking at shooting skill like how it's how it's modified by nearest defender distance you get that nice interpretation of like how how a player the effect of player has relative to league average so that's a, a nice uh, jump to my next question which interpret is interpretation so in um Table one in the defense in the defensive player um, in the defensive paper. So you have you know nearest defender impact on shots and you have the rank. So for example, Boris Diao is first with a gamma of minus six point seventy one. Which my understanding is that when Diao is a closest defender, he reduces the field goal percentage by six percent, six point seven percent. However, isn't so in in the, in the regression equation, this is, there is an interaction term between gamma and the closest distance to defender. So the actual effect depends on, the dis on this distance as well, right? So the actual effect in a specific situation will be this times the distance of the defenders. Uh, yeah, so sorry, I'm just, I'm forgetting this table, so I'm pulling up the yeah. paper myself. Um, I think this is the confusion between equation three and equation four and which table corresponds to which equation equation uh table one is that what we're looking at yes. corresponds to equation three. Oh, okay okay yeah and then that was my confusion okay honestly like the um the parameters we use should probably be different for equation four like we use gamma for both but we should okay okay i see i see yeah it, it makes sense that, because what i was thinking was basically essentially i was thinking if you have the distance between zero then it should have the maximum impact, but based on this equation, have minimum impact because there is an interaction there. But uh, yeah, now makes uh, makes sense. So it's um... yeah. So table table um, two corresponds to that equation where there's like an interaction term between the gamma and the nearest defender distance, and okay. so like that gamma is basically like the change in in expected shot make probability relative to league average, league average for every like one foot. Uh, oh, for one foot. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I see. yeah, so nearest defenders, we do it in feet. So every one foot decrease in nearest defender distance, that gamma term is like the expected difference relative to league average for that player's shooting skill. Okay, I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So the best defender here, it, um, I think I'm confused again. Yeah, so table one is we're looking at defenders basically. Like okay, of, yeah, okay, now it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, how they I, impact shot make probabilities yeah. on average. So our best defender is Boris Dio. He's ranked number mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Okay. Draymond Green, number two. And then our worst defenders, mm -hmm. um, okay. Derek Williams and Channing Frye. Yeah. So I had uh, a more um, general question. I, I don't know if Ron, you have any question more about the modeling part. 
Yeah, actually, something I wanted to go back to the um, this is actually related to a Twitter question we had from at pi underscore ball, the um, someone who's developed a uh, Python package for scraping NBA data. They have a Twitter question actually about, and this I think gets at the idea of some of the complications of doing a Bayesian approach just from having to tune <laughs> the sensitivity of uh, your your priors and your hyperparameters, because I think they were asking about in the first paper mm -hmm. on the for doing the shrunk uh, Rao Blackwell and an uh, equation three, and then the results in that table two of so you chose the hyperparameters in the first half, but then you tune the that additional alpha null parameter. The um, was this still done all in the first half, and then the second half was just complete held out set. That then you were observing the uh, what that mean absolute error was. Yeah. So yeah. So that tuning was done. Um, and on on the first half, the second half is completely held out. Um, okay. Yeah. So it is just like a. Go ahead. Yeah, it's that same cross validation. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's not mentioned. But yeah, um, that that second half that second half game set is completely held out. Yeah, so everything was just tuned on the first half, including all the all the parameters for the Bayesian setting and the and the shrunk setting of what you use in that empirical Bayes form. That's just, we're only using the first half and then just the observe this mean absolute error performance on the second half. Right. So I'm, I'm wondering then how do you actually, how do you scale this up then when you want to do this for multiple seasons? Have you thought about that, you know, of dealing with, do you do it? Like if you wanted to look at the year to year stability, of using the Rao Blackwellized estimator. But one of the things you also talk about in this is it's more about within season, right? right you as, you go, as you get like more than a few hundred shots, um, like the three point percentage and like true shooting kind of stabilize. Mm -hmm. And so like raw field goal percentage becomes, becomes fine in terms of ranking and like ranking players. So yeah, you want to do this with, um, like applying this to like college players coming into the draft where they may not get that many three point three point attempts or like players within season or like looking between single seasons to compare maybe potential changes in skill. I think that's where like the application would lie. Yeah, so I'm interested to see what it would be like year to year. If the one in year X, how much better that is at predicting year X plus one. Um, right, and I think like, the I'm not sure how how much like another like including a full season and the, tuning that on the full season and predicting the next year how much adding an extra half season would affect affect the results but yeah it'd be cool to get like kind of like in addition to the discrimination kind of metric that we calculated a stability I, we tried to do it with our two seasons of data and we I couldn't kind of get like a a correct estimation. So. Yeah, so um, actually I had um, more of a high-level question. So, you know, Second Spectrum um, has their own in-house, uh, you know, QSP metric, quality um, shooting um, uh, metric. 
that tries to quantify the skill of a player in terms of shooting. But essentially, it's a pre-release model, right? So it's contextual factors, uh, closest defender, and uh, that kind of stuff. So um, you obviously touched upon that, uh, that you kind of looked um, into it, but um, uh, do you have, did you, do you have any chance of trying to look at correlations between what they believe is skillful players compared to what um, this approach with trajectory shows? Um, I have do, no. do you anticipate any differences maybe? No, I haven't looked at that. Um, we did look at like trying to um, include like beyond just the three shot factors, um, the depth left, right distance and angle, like include like some contextual factors um, to see if that like improved improved like our probability modeling or like improved estimation of, of shooting skill. And like none of that did. And that kind of goes back to like the real block wealth theorem. Um, <laughs> like I think like these pre-shot um, shooting skill models and like post-shot, like the post-shot model in this paper are kind of, are kind of different in the fact that yeah. like um, that this, like the post-shot model is like a sufficient statistic and gives you more information than the make miss does. And like, so, I would more lean towards something like using this, these same contextual models, but it, the response being the shot make probability, not like a make or a miss, mm. and kind of using that to see if that like improves variation, improves estimation, decreases variation in predicting like player skill pre-shot, like a, I guess a player's ability to, to get into good good locations to shoot something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I think those are kind of fundamentally estimating different different things. Different things. So it's almost so maybe the pre-release, especially the way you described it, could be something more like uh, evaluating the decision making of a player. So do they take shots when they are in good situations to uh, you know release a good shot compared to the trajectory model, which is actually okay. You took a shot. What? How good was the shot? Right. Yeah, and you look at some differences between like. Um, if you like, you can do this with the raw make miss, but like looking at like mm -hmm. looking at when players are open, like where they are on the court, like splitting the court like this. Like the more you split, the like more variance there is in those like estimations. So like something like using shot make probabilities instead, I think has an application there too, mm -hmm. where like there are less vari variations in those estimates. Mm -hmm. So it's funny because we were just talking about this, Costas and myself, about uh, the NFL sort of parallel. Um, with the NFL tracking data of doing uh, completion probability models in which in a way the opposite was occurring of NFL Next Gen Stats had released a modeling of completion probability where the information is based off of at the time where the ball is arriving, the receiver hmm. separation to the defender, how far the receiver is from uh, the uh, different uh, you know sides of the field etc and so like that information right is analogous to your shot trajectory information where you believe this is more closely actually related to the probability of the shot going in versus the pre-shot information right which people are still right. attempting to use that pre-shot information to get the pi that you are using right but it's just it's just going to be a much poor estimate so it's not it's not going to lead to an actual sufficient statistic because it's just right. a, a worse estimate of that. The funny thing is in the NFL next gen stats case, they advertised the completion probability model. 
that was based on information when the ball was arriving as a QB decision-making model, which was not what it was. The, um, oh, so it was a little reverse story there in a way. The, uh, but what they were doing, though, was something analogous to what you've done. And they could have pitched it more of that way of being more predictive within the season. The, uh, yeah, that, that like that, a – sorry, yeah, that, um, that, uh, that like ball placement at the time of the catch is like pretty much exactly analogous to like the – ball location at the time of the hoop and like again like whether you the receiver catches the ball or not kind of doesn't give you any more information about like the cute the quarterback's like passing skill right you're kind of removing yeah. that variance in basketball it's like the variance of whether a ball whether you miss a lot or it's rim, rims out and then football it's like some of the variance is like the wide receiver dropping it or making like a really nice catch so we should reach out to NFL Next Gen Stats. Someone from there is listening to this. I know it. And tell them they should rename it as Raul Blackwellizing Completion Percentage. Because um, that's what they've done. <laughs> the, um, I wanted to ask you, because one of the things you talk about in this paper is because you focus on three-point shots because of the ease of right, the jump shots and the trajectory information. Have you thought more about how to address the challenges, the difficulties with the different types of two-point shots? Um, yeah, I thought like I thought about it a little, like a little bit when like like adding that section in on true shooting, where um, we we incorporate all two-point shots that we can. Um, the the trajectory modeling would have to be like a little more sophisticated um, in like detecting like banks or like. Not not like detecting banks, but like cutting trajectories. Um, maybe maybe not the trajectory modeling, but like my data gathering would have to be more sophisticated in determining like when a shot has hit the rim. Um, yeah. And, okay, that's interesting. Because yeah, the other part would even be dealing with the trajectories. The 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 nice thing of doing with the three point jump shots, right, is everything is intended to be a swish, right? Versus right. The different types of two-pointers like your prior i don't even think you could use the end point prior in a way you you could use just the player location prior but then maybe you it would be interesting like or yeah <laughs> you would have to do like an additional modeling step of for a particular locations probability of attempting swish versus probability of attempting bank shot right this is coming from a person whose basketball knowledge was limited to when he played when he was 10 years old so uh, again, don't really know what I'm talking about here, but like I, I don't know if someone's actually done that, where they looked at the probability of the of the goal of either banking it or doing a swish based on player location information. You know, instead of just shot make probability, just the shot type. Yeah, you'd have to have some like like binary like. It is this a bank? Is this not with some probability? Yeah, um, you, it, you from your data, it would probably be this really hard task of figuring out how to label those things, giving the optical tracking data. Yeah. The, um, and if you look in the um, figure three, I want to say the the figure with um like the shot make probabilities laid over the hoop. Um, there's this like interesting dynamic that um that was found uh, by Lucy and Marty in their using like the hardware install with more accurate depth and left right but like the optimal probabilities are kind of shifted back in the hoop a little bit like the the optimal depth for a shot is like 
11 inches in the middle of the hoop. The hoop's 18 inches in diameter, so nine inches is the exact center. Exact center. And like, I didn't explore this at all, but like, I, one of my thoughts is that like, this has been shifted back slightly because like, some shots go way past in depth and bank in. Um, there might be some some more things having to do with like physics of the ball having spinning. It's like it's better for shots to go in if they're going in a little bit off the back end. I'm not sure about that, but that that kind of also might be another factor in like why those depth probabilities are shifted back. Interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, you know, one of the things actually related to just a side note of that figure is I love how clear that figure is, and it's just based on a very simple model. Yeah, um, it's very simple shot make probability model, and you get this nice defined relationship based on the depth and the left right distance in the hoop. Yeah, the simple logistic regression using just those three factors. No deep learning necessary. <laughs> no deep learning. This was um, this was at the very start of my master's, which I had almost like no statistics experience. Um, so yeah, deep learning would have been way over. And now you're going to get a stats PhD. That's so that's right. pretty neat. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks. Um, but yeah, th that's one of the things that like I like about the, the papers that like, besides a little bit of a Bayesian, Bayesian regression we use, like you don't need to, to understand the real Blackwell theorem and, or sufficient statistics in a lot of depth to like appreciate what they're doing and understand the paper as a whole. It's mostly an applied problem using shot trajectories with like some theoretical grounding that like you can skip over if you, uh, if you want. Yeah, and these uh, are usually the best papers because you can get a good intuition about them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's simple, but very educational. That's why I really, I mm -hmm. really think it's a good one to share with people to get them to read more about the, um, but Costas, do you have anything else to add? No, I think uh, covered all uh, the questions. There was one more question about, um, uh, from uh, Jeremy Abramson on Twitter uh, about temporal dynamics uh, from what understood year to year, but obviously there is only one uh, year of data, so there's no way to get this um, uh, kind of information. Yeah, it'd be nice to um, to like apply this to like several seasons of tracking data at some point, but but yeah, for 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 this paper, we only had mm -hmm. a limited data supply. Thanks. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no, Thank thanks you. for joining us, Daniel. Yeah. The um, well, we'll add the uh, to the show notes the links to like the Marty and Lucy papers you had mentioned. The um, and I was wondering, like, do you have a Twitter account? Is there a way people should, can maybe follow I should, you? <laughs> maybe I should make one and just be like guest on Open Source Sports Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you you should make one, I think, because then you know people check out the work you're going to be doing as you start your PhD be a good way of sharing that and the um and I'll post the the link to uh the github repo with at least a sample code right. on there the, um, yeah there's a sample a sample game's worth of tracking data if people are interested they can they can play around with that awesome well thanks or they for joining can use them for other sports yeah other sports <laughs> too yeah <laughs> all right yeah thanks for having me thank you Thanks for listening to another episode of the Open Source Sports Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenSRCSports. You can follow myself, Ron Yurko, at stat underscore Ron, and Costas Pelicrinus at kpelicrinus.
We'd appreciate it if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. And you can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. Thanks for listening.